friends and colleagues, uh, it's Wednesday, so it must be Voices of the Sacred Feminine Day. Uh, yes, uh, this is Karen Tate, uh, your hostess here for the last 13 plus years, and uh, it is my great pleasure to be with you again uh, this week and uh, bringing you another great guest with uh, really important stuff to share. Um, so, uh, as the opening uh, single, The Cut from Alea Deo says, uh, it is time to awaken because uh, we do. We really do have to awaken on so many levels. We have to rethink everything, in my humble opinion. Um, we accept so much that we shouldn't as normal. Um, I believe that uh, we really need to do a, a personal inventory uh, of, our, of our lives, our personal lives, our work life, our social life, our religious life, uh, everything, and really take a hard look and see um, what really reflects our values, what doesn't, uh, because I think um, you know, we're humans and uh, we're adaptable and we tend to be uh, adaptable and that has helped us survive, you know, over thousands and thousands of years. But sometimes I think uh, we get to the point where we just accept too much. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of up to my eyeballs in stuff that really just doesn't work anymore. And we are rethinking new ways of being in the world. We are rethinking uh, everything everything. And, um, you know, I'll just leave it at that, you know, food for thought. Um, and if, you know, you're looking for ways to uh, connect the dots or see what I mean by that, um, you can go to uh, the three anthologies uh, that uh, I have out there. You can get them on Amazon. You can get them directly from me. Um, you know, it's, uh, we call them the Manifesting a New Normal Trilogy, and uh, it will give you some ideas, um, you know, with some wisdom, sh you know, wisdom thinkers, way showers, uh, some ideas they have about how we can uh, move forward in, the, in this world uh, in a new way to make it a better world for, uh, for more of us. And with that in mind, um, that's exactly why I invited my guest uh, tonight to be on the show. Uh, I have with me uh, Emily Slingluff. And we're going to be talking about the cause and cure for hate. And I'll tell you a little bit about Emily um, for a minute here before we start our chat. Uh, she's a native Virginian. Uh, she lives in Virginia Beach. And she describes herself as uh, someone who really loves life. Uh, she's a graduate of Sweetbriar College with a BA a degree in government and economics. Uh, she was an uh, assistant editor of the Norfolk newspaper, The Virginian Pilot until uh, she became pregnant with her first child. She has a son and daughter, and um, after they finished school in Norfolk, uh, a director of that school asked Emily to write what she had done with her children uh, before they ever went to first grade. And that became her first book, A Present to the Newborn is the title. It quickly sold thousands of copies, and Emily was interviewed by many newspapers. Uh, she's been on TV, radio shows uh, ever since. I'm so glad to have her here. Uh, and she's continued writing and speaking about parenting 
Uh, and she's won awards, uh, such as being named the future, the full-time, the full-time homemaker of the year for the state of Virginia, uh, the year after the first book came out. Uh, she's written two more books, the latest being about the cause and cure for hate, our topic tonight. Uh, and as Emily says, the world can be no better than the people in it. So uh, let me say welcome uh, to uh, Emily Slingluff. Welcome, Emily, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you, Karen. Thank you. It's exciting just to hear you talk. You're, you're a thinker. We like that. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Um, and, you know, I did want to ask you, it mentions in your bio uh, the titles of your, uh, that, well, that you've written two other books. What are the titles? Um, other books, I had no idea after the first book that I would ever write again. I was doing what the director of that Norfolk Academy had asked me, and um, thought that would be it. But over time, I could not help thinking, thinking, thinking constantly, really, about parenting because it's connected to everything, maybe. I think it is. And um, I heard so often people talking about the complications of parenting, the difficulties of parenting, the problems. And I thought, no, no, it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Parenting can be easy um, and wonderful, not a problem. And so it just finally struck me, and this was years after I wrote the first book, it struck me that I could describe parenting in three points. One, two, three. How about that? Really easy. So I thought, all right, I'm going to write it. And I wrote a very short book. The, each chapter was one of the three points, and each chapter is short. I'd love to tell you right now, maybe there will be time on the show to tell you the one, three, one, two, three points. And um, that was interesting. I actually was at a conference right before that book came out. I hope I'm not straying too much from what you asked me, Karen. But I was at a conference, and the people there were so fascinated that I believed that parenting could take place without punishment that they said, you've got to call that book that. It was at the publishers at the time. And actually they talked me into changing the title. So I called the publisher, and that book is called Parenting Without Punishment. It probably should be called Parenting 123 because that's what it is. But I certainly know parenting can take place without punishment and should. And I hope everybody listening, um, some of you will be shocked, but some of you will not be. And... Um, I would love to talk about it because, oh, it makes such a difference. And that's my second book. And my third okay. book third book just came out several years ago um, during all this time of violence. And um, actually the first, I called it Peace, and then I decided to redo that book and update it a little bit. And so that one is called Choosing Happiness. And they're all on Amazon. Nice, nice. Great, I want to great. Tell you more, well, but and, I don't and I'm sure... Mm-hmm. Well, and, and I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure they overlap too, and um, uh, and I do want to hear the one, two, three, um, and, and, and we will get to that. I'm sure we'll have time. We have an hour, uh, and you know we'll take a break at about the half hour. I have some uh, news from Joe Carson. I want. Uh, uh, folks to hear, and I forgot to say at the top of the show, because uh, I got so involved talking about needing to rethink things, uh, I want, uh, my, for my regular listeners who know who she is, Pat, uh, my roving goddess reporter, has sent in some great 
uh, articles for me to share. So I want to invite my listeners to stick around after our conversation was over, uh, and and I'll be able to share the um, these articles from um, you know from Pat, the roving Scottish reporter. Uh, but um, as we started to say at the top, um, you know our primary focus tonight uh, is to talk about the cause and cure for hurt, for hate. And Emily, you know you're a writer, parent, speaker. Uh, you've written and and, t- and taught extensively on the connection between parenting and hate. Um, I think with specific emphasis on early childhood development and parenting styles that lead to raising kids who hate. Um, you know, uh, I believe I read something where you said you believe bullies begin to form in the crib. Uh, and, you know, I'm looking forward uh, for you to share your um, you know your findings with me, um, but, but let me start start by asking you. Um, it seems to me, and, and I mean, and I will reveal, I am not a parent. But when I was ten, my mother had my sister, and um, it didn't seem like there was a lot of good parenting skills going on there. <laughs> uh, you know, even from my ten-year-old vantage point, and as I look back on that now, I, I still have that opinion. And, you know, people don't go to school to learn how to parent. I mean, do you think that's part of the problem? Maybe very few read books or maybe they read the wrong books. Um, Do you think that's part of it? Oh, I love you saying that. Yes, 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 I do. Would not it be wonderful to have it taught in school, to have parenting taught? Because what I say is surprising. Um, Interrupt me if, I, if I'm going on too long, Karen. <laughs> this is a topic so dear to my heart. Um, first of all, yes, there's overlap in all of the books I've written because I have not changed in the way I look at parenting. What I saw, felt 30 years ago when I wrote the first book. Um, actually, I went through a very sad time thinking I might never be able to have a child. I had several miscarriages, and one of them was traumatic. I'd been pregnant with twins, and there was hope I'd hold on to the one that was left, but after a while, no. Anyway, so um, during the, and the doctor said, wait a year before I got pregnant again to give my body time to recover. And during that time, everywhere I looked, I would see a parent and child, it seemed. You know, maybe a newborn, maybe a toddler maybe a teenager or older, and I could not help but study. I could not help but watch and think. And often the parents were being mean to the children. They didn't realize they were being mean. They thought that what they were doing was right, I believe. This is what I believe. I don't want to blame parents. I think parents often think they should do something that I'm going to tell you right now. I think it's just so, so, so harmful. But... I don't blame them. I understand because even people who are teaching parenting now, while they are teaching more what I say, uh, very few of them are really all the way there. Um, okay. The, the uh, talk, oh gosh, so much to say. You talk about leading children to be full of hate. Um, gosh, where to start to answer that question? Yes. What the story well, is we, about well, well, wait, is this. 
Well, Emily, let me let, let me sort of let, let me sort of um, navigate you through. Um, would would were you seeing the wrong the same wrong action over and over? And if so, what was that action that you felt these parents were doing wrong? All right, in a nutshell, not being kind. In a nutshell. The most important thing a parent can do is be kind to the child as the parent teaches the child about life. The parent can be on the same side with the child. You know, some parents don't realize that. They think they're supposed to be on another side, almost an opposite side, almost an opposing side. And truly, I bet some people listening right now are thinking, phew, what an idea. That would be nice. Of course I'm on the child's side. Why have I been mean to the child? I love my child. I want to be on the child's side. So in a nutshell, I'd say kind parenting is the answer. And when... Okay, but let's... Parent... Go ahead. Well, okay. well, you know, the first thing that comes to mind when I the first thing that comes to mind when I hear you say that um, is, well, actually, several things. Let's hope I don't lose my train of thought. Um, you know, can can a person um, employ kindness? Number one, if they have never um, experienced it, you know, if they've come from uh, uh, you know, parents who uh, didn't mm-hmm. display it, and, and and number two, I think women today, um, you know, they're trying to do it all, and I applaud them. But um, I mean, maybe they're exhausted, you know. Um, <laughs> and then the third thing, the third thing is, um, you know, I I wonder if. You know, they, you hear, well, you're not supposed to be your child's friend. You're supposed to be, you know, your, your, the parent, the disciplinarian. So I guess how do you reconcile those three points maybe? Um, and maybe it's not always easy to be kind as much as mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm, it might Okay, I love it. I want to answer all of them. Uh, <clears throat> it is so easy to be kind, but you hit the nail on the head. You are so smart. The first thing you said was can parents be kind if they were not treated that way as children. I think that's what you were saying, right? People who have not grown up with a parent being kind to them have been, this might be shocking, they have been damaged. They have been damaged. And some people may say, oh, well, I've had so many people say this over the years. I was spanked, I was this, I was that, and I'm just fine. But the truth is, And you're a thinker, and people listening now are thinking, the truth is this. They don't know what they might have been. They might appear to be fine. They might appear to have done some good things in life. But perhaps they don't have the deep inner peace that they could have had. So that's the way I could talk about that longer, but to answer each thing. um, It is difficult. You you hit on a very important part. It is difficult for, there's even a psychological theory that it takes a certain number of generations. I don't even like to say how many because I like to be an optimist. But supposedly it takes several generations to get over parenting that was hurtful. And 
I hope that parents who try can get over it, but it is more difficult. If somebody has been treated kindly by the parent, it's very natural for them to treat their child really kindly. All right, and I'm doing it all. Oh, that's a big topic right now. You said while parents are doing it all, they're tired. Well, <laughs> I would like to say, well, there's so many one things I would like to say to have you take away from the show, everybody listening. But one thing is this. Think about jobs. Right now, so many women are thinking they need to have a high-paying job. And I think I put a tweet out the other day. <laughs> I finally just said it. Is there a mother who would rather have more money than a child who is kind and honest and happy with life? Okay. <laughs> That's a pretty rash statement, yeah. but it's a question that I think it would be helpful for anybody who brings another person in this world to think about. How important is money compared to having a child who has inner peace, who is happy with life, who is honest and kind, rather than a child who is disturbed, who is a little insecure or maybe very insecure and who's confused and a bit unhappy with life and needs to go to a psychiatrist to try to get straightened out because people go to psychiatrists because they're unhappy. The, the goal of psychiatrists, many people listening know this, the goal of psychiatrists in treating patients is happiness. Nobody goes to a psychiatrist who's happy with life, who has inner peace. So about having more jobs, that is up to the parent. If the parent wants to have one child and have that child be happy with life, and not have a paying job in addition to the job of parenting, then that's up to the parent. But I bet later in life that parent will look back on what she did and wish she had spent more time with the child and been kinder to the child. And, yes, to answer the next question you answered, be the child's friend. I know I've heard, Karen, exactly the words you said. We're not supposed to be the child's friend. I wrote in my first book when I just simply wrote what I had done, and my husband helped me every night. We Not every single night, but we went over it often over a period of a year. Um, I wrote a chapter called Be, I think I called the chapter Be His Friend. Why in the world not be the child's friend? The child can be the very best friend that parent ever had. And the parent can be the best friend that child has ever had. Be the child's friend. Be on the child's side. So many parents think that they need to be a dictator, that they need to say, I'm the boss. They may not use those words, but that's what they are basically saying. Do what I said because I said so, and if you ask me again, you're going to be punished. Why? Because I'm your mother, that's all. And you do what I said or you're going to be punished. What does that do to the child? A parent who's a dictator will end up having a child, usually, usually, who is a bit insecure, who doesn't have self-confidence because the parent has made all the decisions for the child. The parent has said, 
do this, wear that. I don't care if you want to wear that other shirt. I told you to wear this shirt. Come in the house right now. It's 2 o'clock in the afternoon. I said come in at 2 o'clock. I don't care if you want to stay out. It's 2 o'clock, and you're going to come in, and you're going to help me do this and that. A parent who continually makes the decisions for the child will usually end up having a child who is a little bit insecure, who will not quite know how to make decisions. Sometimes people, the parent will say, I've got to send my child off to one of those camps, you know, where they, where they teach them to be self-confident. Well, the parent could have taught the child to be self-confident in the very beginning if the parent had been on the child's side and made decisions along with the child. It's fun. It's right. pleasant. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. Have I, oh, and I one yeah. more thing you mentioned. I wrote down the word discipline. have to be a disciplinarian. The word to discipline means to teach. You can think of Jesus' as disciples. They were his teachers. They were not punishers. They were his teachers. So discipline means to teach. And so, yeah, I was giving a talk years ago, and... Um, it was a big group, and in the middle of my talk, somebody raised their hand and said, I've just got to ask you, you don't believe in discipline? And I said, oh, yes, I do. You know, to discipline means to teach. So do you think a parent can teach a child better by hitting the child or by talking and explaining and hugging, being on the child's side? Should I keep on or you want to ask me something else? <laughs> No, 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 no. I, I, I just wanted to make sure I, I, I enjoyed your point. I wanted to make sure I didn't cut you off and you had finished. Well, I, I, I loved everything you said. Um, I do have to um, interject, however, um, you know, uh, because I can hear some of you know the, the the minds of some of my listeners exploding out mm. there. Um, <laughs> you know about 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 the about the middle point. You know, uh, would you rather have a high paycheck or a happy child? I mean, I mean, I'm, I'm paraphrasing. And um, and and what was what I was thinking about when you were saying that? Um, it, it, I think what you said is right on. However. Um, you know, women have struggled for so long to try to achieve some sense of equality, independence, um, and we have so many single mothers. Um, you know, it, it's 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 really a complicated subject because um, mm-hmm. you know women want to achieve things in the world, um, and mm-hmm. maybe sometimes we don't think of raising a child as a job. Um, you know, as as maybe our first job, and I and I you know I think about some of the Rianne Eisler teachings uh, at the Center for Partnership, and uh, you know she talks about a caring economy, where um, you know we we don't uh, we don't think about the work of women, you know, taking care of their families um, as a job. You know, they're never compensated for it monetarily. Mm. They stay home with oh, the children no. all, all of their life. They, they, they don't have social security. You know, they have, they have nothing to show for in terms of security with our lousy social safety net here in the United States if they stay home and make their children 
and their um, their kids their 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 number one job, you know. So um, you know, so there's that part of this too, you know. Um, maybe the woman has to go out and and make a living and has to split her time between the child and the job, and maybe there's a husband uh, in the in the picture. And I think it's I, I think it's hard sometimes, you know, and. Um, you know, oh, maybe she doesn't. Maybe. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. You, I, you, you got my point, though. Oh well, so many different things you said. Um, <clears throat> I want to comment on each one. Um, right now, you said women have struggled. I tried to make little quick notes as you were talking. Struggle so to have equality and independence. Um, women have always mattered hugely. I remember when I was at Sweetbriar, the president of Sweetbriar one time said, um, when you educate a woman, you educate the world. That's right big to remember, right? Um, And as you said at the beginning of the show, which I have said, the world can be no better than the people in it. I think right now I want to answer each of the comments you made, but one thing I'd like to just throw out for everybody listening, can you name any job? that is more important than the job of parenting. I'll just pause for two or three seconds, if that's all right with parents, just to think. I have asked many people, and nobody ever has said anything. So uh, the job of parenting is huge. I heard a um, very famous person, television, I've never asked whether I could use her name, but I heard her give a talk, and she had a child who people knew about who was a beyond a teenager, maybe late teenager at the time, and everybody thought it was just grand. She said, it is not possible to have a big job of television five days a week and do a good job there and do the best job that can be done with the child. And I will throw that out, too. Now, there's no reason that somebody needs to have two or three children or four children if they're going to leave the child. Why have the child? Why, why, why have a child if not to help that child be a fine member of society, of this world, of this place? Why not? Why have a child if, if you're not going to help the child? And if the parent, the parent is the influence, the main influence in the formative years. And what the parent does matters forever. Certainly every influence in life matters, but they all build on that foundation. Everybody listening right now to, to Karen and me talking tonight uh, are hearing the same words but taking it a little bit different. And the reason they're taking it differently is because of their foundation, of the formative years. The formative years matter. They're called formative because they're formative. And it is a thrill to be a parent. It is a thrill. My husband said at the end of the first book I wrote, he said, I would just say as a summary that it's like parenting is like everything else in life. You get out what you put into it. But he said, but the rewards are sweeter. So when you said there's no compensation, I thought, oh, yes, there is. (laughs) The rewards are sweeter. So anyway, on that, well, I'll let me say all these other I, I meant, things. But I'm, 
Go ahead. But I meant monetary <laughs> compens. But I meant but I meant monetary compensation. Well, I would you know, give it money. Uh, I, I meant. So, Yes, so uh, you know, many people. I, I meant like if a, if, a, if if a woman has to stay home to take care of her aging parents, to take care of her children, um, you know, there's no uh, security, monetary security for her then at the end of her life, uh, it, you know, as if maybe she had gone out to work and had a 401K or something like that. Well, after the child has gotten older, that's one thing. If the child is gone till 5 o'clock in the afternoon, it still takes energy from the from the parent job of parenting if the parent is doing another job. But <clears throat> certainly when the child is teeny, um, it's, it's important. But I want to say about the monetary. Over the years, having done so much talk and writing about parenting, many, many people have talked to me who were extremely poor growing up. One became um, a well-known person in the parenting field in this country. She's recently died, but she spoke here in Norfolk. I heard her years ago, and I heard her say, she, she said she grew up with very little money. Her father was a migrant worker. They lived in trailers usually and moved often and sometimes had no food and often had no water unless they went to a nearby trailer where water was in a bucket. And she said to me, her mother was so kind to her, explained everything to her, told her how much she loved her, spent time with her, and she was so happy. She has been happy all of her life. And then she said, in front of all these people, the words she said, she said, when people think that poor people can't help cherish their children, I resent it. So she's not the only person well, I've and you know what? Well, you know what you're making me think about, Emily. Um, uh, I forgot where it came from now, uh, but I remember we talked about it on a show, uh, that actually uh, poor people, uh, you know, the, 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 the research was, uh, some poll or something or uh, some study, that poor people, um, middle-income people, people who don't have um, money to just throw at everything, uh, money to hire people to do everything they need done, that those people actually have uh, better social skills because they learn early that they have to rely on one another. Uh, and, it, and, you know, they develop perhaps uh, more, you know, more skills at, um, uh, you know, getting along with one another because, uh, you know, they, they can't just pull out their wallet and pay somebody to do all of these things that might need to be done that they can't do for themselves. Um, you know, they have to, uh, you know, maybe have somebody who's going to help them with the child or uh, give them a ride to the grocery or, or, I don't know, do you get my point? Well, I don't think that's it. I think what the one thing that matters is for the parent to realize the importance of the job of parenting and the importance of kind parenting. A parent, a child, a parent, excuse me, a parent who has been kind with the child is very, very likely to have a child who is kind back to the parent and to other people. And that makes all the difference. Imagine everybody being kind and honest. I wrote in my first book, my, the parent can instill whatever character trait the parent chooses. And my first choice, 
wrote this years ago, and I've mulled it over many times since. My first choice, I said, is honesty, and second is kindness. Yeah. And I don't know whether it's possible to have one with the other, and I kind of think it is. Anyway, we could talk about that for a whole hour. But, but to ha- imagine if everybody was kind and honest, and that's not going to happen. Yeah. If a goes out and doesn't pay attention to the child and comes home late at night or in the late afternoon exhausted and pays no attention. But above all, if the parent is kind to the child, that's what matters above all else. And the person who is kind in life is also one who is happy inside, who has inner peace. And I, I quoted something yeah. on tweet today, um, a quote from somebody, uh, world peace thoughts with inner peace. Yep. And, and look, I, I I agree with I agree with all you're saying. Um, you know, I I, I really do. Um, you know, it, it's kind of this idea of nurture. You know, I mean, we grow up with what we see. Um, I mean, uh, I'll be honest and say I grew up in the racist South, and until I was older. Um, I believed those racist thoughts, you know, until I became, you know, better educated and understood uh, the whys and hows and everything. You know, you grow up with, uh, you know, whatever your environment is, you become a mirror of that, you know. Um, I I know I I spoke to another woman who said that um, if there were a way we could take the stress off mothers while they're pregnant that in one generation we could change um, the psyche of, of, of the world because it, you know, oftentimes it's not just what we're doing to the child uh, it, while we're rearing them. It's also what they maybe have experienced in the womb. And if the mother is under a lot of stress, then that also affects um, you know the the psyche of the child uh, moving forward. Have you uh, are you aware of any of those sorts of studies? Oh wow! Oh wow! <laughs> that is a fascinating topic. I will tell you <clears throat> that when I did get pregnant after my three miscarriages, and and the second one I had spent some time in the hospital because, <clears throat> as I briefly mentioned, I'd been pregnant with twins and one was still alive, and. <clears throat> My nice doctor said, just don't move, Emily. Just just stay as still as you can possibly stay, and maybe this one will live. Well, now, I have no idea whether a doctor would say that now, but I stayed still. Every single thing that you can imagine was brought to me. I can just picture that room and how it was. Everything was brought to me. People were so kind, the hospital people, and they took tests and would come tell me that, yes, everything was fine. Yes, she, the baby was still alive, the, the embryo, whatever. And then one day, no. No, no longer. Why? Tears every time I say it. And and then the doctor said, don't get pregnant again for a year. That was when I told you I started noticing parents, studying. And what I learned was that parents, that children treat their parents back the way the parent has treated the child. So when a parent, if you ever hear a parent complain about a child, you can think to yourself, that parent is complaining about the way she has been nurturing that child. The parent nurtures the child to become what the child becomes. So back to your point about the um, staying in bed. 
of when I got pregnant after the year. I asked my doctor if he thought it would help if I stayed in bed. You know what he said? He said he wasn't sure. He said maybe, and so I did. I was in bed. We moved in with my mother and father and talk about races. They had the most wonderful Maddie who was, anyway, she was, she liked to be called colored. She was black. She wasn't black. She was white skin. But anyway, I loved her, loved her, loved her. She was there, too. And they helped me. I stayed in bed. My husband went to work. But my mother my mother was there, and my father came home at night. And and my son has been incredible. And I have definitely wondered if it mattered that I stayed in bed for seven months. I have never known another soul like my son, I will tell you that. And I asked Randy yeah. Arnie, the doctor, knew my son, too because he had a son the same age, and he had thought the same thing, that maybe the staying in bed really made a difference. So that, that's a fascinating topic. Well, I wasn't planning to get onto that tonight, but who knows? Maybe. <laughs> At any rate, it certainly matters after well, the yeah. baby's born for that. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, there are, there are studies to that effect. You know, if a mother has to work and she's on her feet, you know, for hours and hours and, you know, she's under a lot of, you know, financial stress, you know, maybe there's domestic violence, maybe there's, uh, you know, just uh, dysfunction in her life, uh, mm-hmm. that that is going to adversely affect, adversely affect the child. And if there were some way that, um, you, know, uh, from a, you know, from a standpoint of society, we could give more support to these mothers, uh, then, you know, it, it could potentially affect the, uh, you know, the outcome of the caliber of human being they bring into the world. But, you know, you made a good point, too, you know. I mean, if somebody can really only handle one child, um, you know, why do they have three and four children? And then, of course, you know, sometimes also religion comes into play, uh, you know, uh, unfortunately, you know, some people, you know, that's a, and that's another whole subject. Um, right, but, but I, uh, I agree with but you. Yeah, I, I, yeah inner, I'd say inner peace and believing in God are synonymous. But maybe everybody well, doesn't and, agree. It, it, well, and, and you said that you believe bullies begin to form in the crib. And is that, um, I, I mean, and, and that's, I mean, would you say, for instance, like when a parent lets uh, the child cry and cry till they cry themselves out, is that kind of an example of starting a bully in the crib? Oh, my gosh, Karen, you've hit the nail on the head over and over. You're smart. Yes. Imagine how, anybody listening, I can say, imagine how you would feel. If you were lying in a crib, you didn't even know where you were. You didn't know anything. You'd been inside a woman's body, and you just didn't know what was going on. And you, you made a little sound that somebody put you there, and you didn't know who, and you didn't know what you want exactly, but you make a little sound, and nothing happens. And then you make another sound, and nothing happens, and make another sound, and get louder. You learned you can do that, and still nothing happens. And how would you feel? You would feel definitely confused, wondering. You wouldn't know any of these words, but that's what you'd feel, and and unhappy. Because imagine, on the other hand, that somebody immediately came and picked you up and said, Oh, I love you. Let me change your diapers, and I'm going to take you in here where I am. And, And loved you. What a difference that would make. A parent cannot hold a baby too much. It gives the baby security, happiness that lasts a lifetime. Um, yes, you hit the nail on the head. And 
I bet these um, bullies, yes, <laughs> somebody who is happy with life, who has inner peace. I don't mean happy from having a bunch of Hershey bars or a new iPhone or something, but who has inner peace, who feels comfortable with life. That person will be happy, kind to other people, will not want to hurt other people. When you think about a little bully in the first grade, goes up and hits somebody in the shoulders to hurt them physically a little bit, or, or maybe says your ears are too big, or nobody likes you, or something to hurt the person emotionally, and those things happen. When that happens, why? Because every little six-year-old doesn't do that. A lot of six-year-olds want to be nice to other people. So why do some people not want to be nice? And the answer is that little person is unhappy. He's unhappy with life. And I can be blunt. I want to say one more thing. Is it all right? This is going to be shocking, too. All right? All right, Karen? Go right ahead. All right. Go right ahead. All right. If a person does not feel comfortable with themselves, in other words, does not have self-respect, that person, we can say, is, is unhappy. Um, he, he doesn't like himself, and therefore he wants to hurt other people. It's a fact that self-hate began, is the start of hatred of others. People who go out, whether it's a little bully in first grade or whether it is a mass murderer, those people are not happy with themselves. And I don't think anybody listening to this show would disagree. People who are happy don't want to go out and hurt a bunch of people. I mean, we all don't want to go out right. and commit mass murders. And so there's a reason. And it's not a mystery. Those people are unhappy. A mass murderer is unhappy. A little bully in first grade is an unhappy person. And we can do something about that. A parent can be kind. And this business of, of money, I could talk to you about that for a long time. It, 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 you can stay home with the child for a few years. That is, <sighs> it's up to the parents. No, I get it. Well, and, and you know, and, and you're making me think of something that's become a, a real pet peeve of mine, too, is, um, you know, I, I believe that we are conditioned – um, to take abuse and to make noble suffering. Um, you know, I think it comes from, you know, seeing Jesus on the cross. It's a noble thing that he suffered and died for us. Um, it's a noble thing to work from dusk till dawn, you know, as if work uh, is the, you know, is, is why we're here on the planet, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, 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 I think that, um, you know, this, this, because of this conditioning, um, you know, that, that abuse and sacrifice and suffering uh, is normal or, or even noble, um, sometimes I think that trumps kindness, if you will. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's almost as if kindness and compassion and empathy is weakness, Suffering and uh, you know, uh, I I don't know. Maybe I'm crazy, and I'm you know just going off on a tangent here. 
but but I think uh, some people, you know, the depending on how they've been brought up, they don't value kindness and compassion. You Definitely. That's yeah. That's my whole point. Absolutely. Oh, <clears throat> did I interrupt you? I did, didn't I? Sure. Am I bad? Did I no, interrupt bad. you? <laughs> okay. I tell you what, no, Billy no. Graham. No. Billy Graham said four words that he thought he said how a mother matters. And the four words he said, which I love because I just told you in my first little book, I mentioned the tri- character traits I think important, honesty and kindness. He said, honesty, and these, a mother can instill these in a child and how important it is. It takes care of it all. So, kindness, honesty, temperance, which is a wonderful word, you know, self-control, temperance, not, not being violent, it's temperance. And then the fourth one he said was industry. And that's sort of what you're talking about. If it's a natural outgrowth of being honest, kind, and temperance, people who are kind want to help, want to have a job. Almost every job is helpful. They want to have a job to help. It's people who are unhappy, who don't want to get a job. They want to just be waited on or something. I'm not, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm maybe over, oversimplifying, complicated, but you know what I'm saying, I think. Industry is a yeah, natural. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I, I mean, you know, some people are just, you know, are born entitled, you know, and uh, they, they, mm. you know, for, for whatever mm. reason, it's been instilled in them that, you know, they are better than other people and they don't mm. maybe have to work for a living, you know. Mm. Um, no, I, I remember, again, I'll, again, I'll never, I think never, it all comes the parents' kind. They're not going to be that way. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Maybe not, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, Emily, I, we're going to take a, a quick break here. Uh, it's a little bit overdue, and we're going to come back. Uh, so hang in there with me uh, because uh, I want to share with listeners a clip from the trailer for Joe Carson's film, uh, Dancing with Gaia. All right. Okay, here we go. Hello, let me say a few things about Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia, an exploration of Earth-based spirituality shot at sacred sites around the world. Here is Drusilla Pettibone on Dearmist.com. I was truly touched and even awed by the film. I really appreciate that there is so much substantive information to digest. For example... The info about hinges and tracing the horizon line is all new to me and totally fascinating. The film was very beautiful and I was amazed how it was able to capture so many of the descriptions visually and seamlessly connect vintage footage with modern. I especially loved when images were dynamically superimposed on each other, like the lace with the water and the dancing in the flowering meadow. A visual feast and with so many layers. I am also pleased to have been introduced to Monica Shu and her work. It's so important for pagans to become aware of our heritage. It seems easily lost among so many new books, and the film really brought me home in a new way. Dancing with Gaia is available at dancingwithgaia.com.
And just to repeat, uh, Dancing with Gaia is available only at dancingwithgaia.com. I want to remind listeners uh, before you tune out tonight um, that I'm going to be sharing some uh, interesting articles from Pat, uh, the roving goddess reporter uh, for Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, I'll be sharing those you know, at the end of the interview here. And also, if um, you were disappointed a few weeks ago, uh, in fact, two weeks in a row, it's never happened before in all of these, you know, more than a decade I've been on the air, Uh, but if you were disappointed because two shows that ended up in your inbox didn't actually produce a show, um, there was no technical difficulties there. That's what some of you thought, uh, that uh, you know, maybe the show didn't process or something. No, what actually happened was I had two guests calling in from Europe, and they confused the time zones. So uh, they did not actually call in, so those two shows did not happen, but they will. Uh, They are going to be back with me, I believe, in October. So if you were uh, interested in the show about healing with sound uh, or uh, Yoni Stone practice, uh, we, you know, they, they are not lost forever. They will be coming up in the very near future. So I apologize for that, uh, for that inconvenience uh, because I know some of you emailed me and said, what happened? Where was the show? So uh, for the larger audience, uh, I want you to be aware of that. And uh, getting back to uh, my wonderful guest tonight, uh, Emily Slingloff, uh, talking about the cause and cure for hate. Um, Emily, I, I love our conversation. Um, I agree with probably 98% of what you're saying. Um, and I wonder, uh, before we get to uh, the one, two, three, uh, your other book, because I want to hear about that, um, is there anything else I haven't asked you about this causing cure for hate, you know, that sort of starts in the crib? Was there more we needed to say about that, or do you think we covered it pretty well? Oh, I think we could talk another two hours. I, I hope I wasn't too blunt, though, just a minute ago to you. I, I feel so strongly oh, no, about this. no, But saying something, and I said, no. no, 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 it's kindness. What, what you were saying, I think, Karen, I mean, and saying is so um, prevalent, really. It's what so many people think. What I say about parenting is shocking still. It was really shocking years ago. But I think, I know, in this country at least, there has been a change towards kind of parenting. It's still not all the way there. But um, you mentioned something about um, children are maybe born, um, some of them, um, just feeling they're entitled was the word you were used. And there are two really things I wanted to talk about, that and one other thing that you mentioned. Um, feeling they're entitled was truly what I think is every child is born entitled. Every child is born entitled to respect. And, and it's interesting that um, over the years, I think all of us have heard some parents say, my child just needs to respect me. The child needs to respect the parent. Well, I wrote a blog about it some months ago. If the parent wants that, you know what the parent should do? The parent should respect the child. If the parent respects the child as a worthy human being, which every child is, from the beginning, then that, that child will naturally respect that person back. That child will be full of respect. Right. Um, and and that's, yeah. that. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody. And the other thing of at being born a certain way. 
new scientific evidence just several years ago has proved that even genes can be changed in a young child if there is abuse, physical or emotional abuse. And I think most people in this country are learning that um, physical abuse is definitely harmful. I mean, I have books and books about it. Um, other people um, delving and, and re research done on it. Any kind of spanking, any kind of hitting is harmful, harmful. But uh, it can also change well, the genes. And then one other, go ahead, and one other thing I really want to talk about. Well, <laughs> well, I, well, I think what you're saying is when we see a bad child or we see a bad adult, really, you know, we're seeing a reflection of... Uh, how they were raised. I mean, it's mm -hmm. like when you, you know, see the see the guy or gal who kicks the dog and abuses his employees, mm -hmm. or uh, you know, he's he's the bully. Well, you know, he he hasn't had that that proper nurturing uh, in his early development. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I think it's probably as, as simple as that. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, Rianne Eisler mm -hmm. talks, uh, talks about, you know, at the Center for Partnership Studies that we live in a dominator culture, and everything is either domination or partnership, you know, and, and somewhere on the spectrum. And if in every phase of our life, starting with partnership with ourself, uh, where you're saying, you know, have self-love, self-kindness, self-compassion. You know, that's partnership with yourself. You know, you have, you know, you have a partnership. You know, and I'm talking healthy partnership because obviously there could be a dysfunctional partnership. But you know, if if you have a healthy partnership with family members, with coworkers, uh, you know, it, and you know, and it, and it grows out exponentially, then um, you know, that's that's really uh, you know, what we choose, you know, and, and if we display that kind of, um, you know, kindness or partnership in the family, if that's sort of the rule of law, so to speak, then, you know, then we grow up with those as our values and we don't become the bully or the guy who abuses his employees or kicks the dog or beats his wife or whatever. When you think about it, the person who does all of that is not a happy person. It's, it's, it's that right. simple. You know, this whole thing is really pretty simple. I, um, <clears throat> I've yeah. talked so much about kindness, and I've, I've mentioned punishment, calling my second book Parenting Without Punishment. I will tell you there's a quote I love that I read years ago, and I memorized it, I think, when I read it. They're not my words. They're the words of Bruno Bettelheim. And he said, hmm, I can say it right now. You don't mind, do you, Karen? No, no. Karen. no go ahead. <laughs> All right. Um, he said, this is uh, when I've been talking about being kind and not spanking the child, not hitting the child. There's no reason to have rules, for one thing. This is what I, I even wrote this in my first book years ago. Have guidelines. There's no reason to have rules. If you have rules, you've got to have punishment because we're all human. Something's going to go a little astray, and you would have to have punishment or there'll be confusion. So don't have rules. Just explain and talk and live together happily. Work together. I made up a word which I used in my book called parent togethering. Parent and child working together instead of against each other. Um, anyway, my son suggested years ago I make up a word because he knew what we were doing as parents were not what a lot of his friends' parents were doing. They were being punished all the time. They couldn't go to the beach with us. and It was just <clears throat> not the same relationship that, that they can be. 
So what this guy right. years ago in the Bad Punishment is this. I think it's it's one sentence and it says it all, kind of almost all. Um, he said, "This is parent and child. Parent punishing the child. Parent. Um, let me see. What is it? Um, punishment may make us obey the orders that are given, but at best will only teach an obedience to authority, not a self-control." Which enhances our self-respect. Mm. I like Isn't that. that I like that mm-hmm. because, yeah, I do. I, I do because you know I'm one of these people who doesn't always believe you should obey authority. <laughs> obey authority, but right, but your parent shouldn't be a master. It's not a master-slave relationship, you know. It's right. parents shouldn't right. be that way. Making making a child do right. something, discuss it, work together. So, um, but you want me to right. tell you my three points? Yes, please three do. Three points Let's to make parents easy. All right, one, two, three. One yes. is realize the importance. It's realize the importance of the job of parenting because I don't think anybody can name a job that's any more important. The world can be no better than the people in it. Okay, number one, realize the importance of the job. We do any job better when we think it's important, usually. Okay, realize the importance. Two, set a goal, one goal. Not a goal that changes from the time the child's a little baby to a toddler to a teenager, but a goal. What would you like when your child is a day old? The goal. Same goal when he's a week old. Same goal when he's five years old and 15 years old and 70 years old. What one word would you like your child to be? Are you asking me? I don't want me to leave it up in the air. <laughs> the one word. Uh, well, no, I I, think I, every- well, you know, after after listening to you, I think it's happy. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Uh, happy. <laughs> I mean, and this, this this is inner peace. This is happy with life. And I know you agree with that. Yeah. You know, yeah. So, yeah. number one, realize the importance. Number two, set one goal of happiness for that little child and teenager and grown up. And Three, reach the goal easily by being on the child's side. Positive parenting, not negative parenting. So, Emily, what would you say to the person who believes what you're saying, but they're wounded from their own, um, you know, terrible childhood? Um, you know, what what can they do if they realize they're not happy and they're afraid that, you know, they're not going to be able to raise a happy uh, a happy child? Right. I've had that question and also people saying, which is sort of similar, like uh, what you're saying is something I haven't thought of, but I want to do it, but my child now is three years old. Is the child too old? Or maybe my child's ten years old. Is it too old? And I'm I'm an optimist, so I hope a realist too, but I think there's always hope. And I think the same thing about a person who has been damaged. There's hope. It is more difficult. It won't be done as well, probably. But there is hope, and maybe it will be done as well. And i say what can be done is very clear. A parent, if she realizes, people listening right now think, gosh, I, I, I wish I'd done that, but it's too late. I've had rules. I've spanked. I've made them go to their room instead of talking to them, and I've been horrible. I wish I could change. Well, I think anybody can 
say to the child, one child, not have but one child, not have anybody else around. Just go somewhere quietly and have a Coca-Cola or a lemonade or whatever for each of you and say, I realize I heard somebody talk today or I read it in a book or whatever, that I could have done it differently. And I thought I was doing what was right. I thought I was supposed to be a dictator. And I wish I'd done it differently. And I want to change. I want to change right now. And I'm so, so sorry. And and hug the child and say, now, will you tell me if I ever am, am not doing it right? Because I want to be on your side. I want to help you. I love you. And I want you to be happy with life. And we can talk about everything, anything. And that's it. And change. That's, you know, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Um, so, so Emily, do these rules apply not just for the mother, but for the father and the grandparents and the aunties and the uncles and, and everybody else? Well, certainly to the father. I mean, the, uh, the other people are probably not in the very beginning. They're definitely not in the very beginning. The influence that the parent is. Now, the parent is the main influence, but in some cases it's more indirect than direct. In, in many cases it's direct. But in some cases, a parent will just take the child to the grandparent or to a daycare center and not even know what kind of influence is happening with the child. But it's, it's, um would not be, I can't imagine an uncle or an aunt, but maybe if that person is, is, is an um, influence in the child, if that person takes care of the child. But it's, it's the primary influence that needs to be so clear, I think, with the child and give the child that security. It doesn't need to be everybody in the family if one person does it. I even, I will say this, all this talk about <clears throat> the problems right now we're having is a breakup of the family. People are on the right track when they say that, but I do not believe that is absolutely correct because I think a single parent can be a magnificent parent. Uh, I, of course, think that two loving parents is best to them feminine and masculine and great. I'd love to have both. But if there's just one, there's no reason to think, oh, I'm going to have a messed up child because I'm a single parent. No. If that parent is kind and pays attention to that child, that parent can help that child be a happy soul who is a wonderful member of this place. That's what I think. Don't you agree? Well, and I, I do. Uh, I I, re- I really do. And uh, I, I I think unfortunately the problem is there's so many unhappy people out there. I mean I'm I'm convinced that part of the opioid epidemic is uh, people's hopelessness, which means Absolutely. their lack of happiness. You know their lack right. of you know. And uh, I I think the the world we live in right now is just so filled with hate. You know, whether it be, uh, you know, gender hate or, uh, you know, homophobia or anti-immigrant or whatever it is, you know, um, I, I, you don't see much, much love and kindness in the world. Uh, you know, you, you see the opposite. And um, I don't know, you just wonder where all this hate came from. And, you know, you may have given us, um, you know, some good uh you know, some things to ponder, you know, maybe what happened to these people in the crib, uh, you know, that, you know, that makes them um, so filled with hate. And maybe, um, I have not dared say this, but kind of, I've kind of obliquely said it in the past, even in my book many years ago, but 
if parents realize the importance of the job, it would matter. Maybe, maybe in the past 10, 20, 30, 40 years, there has been less realization that the job of parenting is the most important job. It is hugely important. Well, and, and you know, and, and I don't know, uh, maybe this is crazy. I don't think so. Um, we have been conditioned to be consumers. And in order to be a consumer, well, you, I mean, look, when I grew up, my, my mother didn't have to work. You know, my dad worked at Sears, for God's sake. He worked in retail. You know, we had a house. We had a car. Um, but things have changed. You know, values have changed. And in order to keep up with the Joneses, if you will, you know, I mean, it's all, you know, it's spun around to this predator capitalism, you know, that we're living in. And I think people are under intense stress. Um, it, so it's it's a bigger it's a bigger uh, subject than I think just be kind to your kid. Um, mm, not you know, not that that mm. isn't important. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to diminish it, but no, I no, think no, no, the no. external forces out there, you know, are, are big. Um, right. Um, I said my first book is really. Really good. Uh, the guy, um, the head of the Associated Press, was a friend of mine, and he read it when it first came out. And he said, "If everybody read this, this would be a different place." And it's true. It, it is a book worth reading. I even said in that, "Don't what? What about your neighbors? What did I call it? I don't know, I have the book somewhere here. I can't think what I call that tiny chapter." But in other words, don't worry about what your neighbors are doing. Don't worry about what other people are doing. Right. If you care about that little human being that you have added to this world, think, think, think what you want to do with your life and what you want to do when you look back on your life to have done what you thought was the best thing to do. And, right, this wouldn't change everything immediately, but if people don't realize the importance of that job and focusing on that, there's bound to be a change. No, I agree. I agree, Emily. And um and, and and I thank you for your passion and, and I thank you for being so adamant about this, uh, because it, it is important and this does have to be the number one priority. And I think oftentimes maybe people end up getting pregnant by mistake, they end up getting pregnant as an afterthought, uh, and it's not very well thought out. And, you know, they're not really in a good position to be parents. And, um, you know, and then bad things happen, like, you know, uh, they they create uh, mur- mass murderers from the crib. Um, and I know that sounds like, a you know, a hyperbole or an exaggeration, but, um, you know, at the very least, you know, maybe they're going to create bullies because they didn't have the, um, the know-how and the time. You know, they didn't invest the time that was necessary uh, in, in, in uh, realize the importance of that job, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, after all, we're not, we're, we're not dogs and cats spawning litters. You know, we're human beings creating other human beings that go out in the world and do things, you know. And, um, you know, there's a big responsibility there. Mm-hmm. And 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 we really haven't even talked about this. What a pleasure! Well, I we have touched on it. What a pleasure it is. The, the rewards are grander than any other rewards. 
Okay. Well, I will have to take your word for it because I am childless by choice. <laughs> oh, you would have you would have been you know, a good parent. <laughs> but but um but yeah, it it, it you know, it it's you, just not as complicated as people believe it is. And it and people can do what they want to do in this world, thank goodness. So that's I'll leave it with that. But I I could talk for hours for right. I've loved you, Karen. <laughs> well you you well, I will I will I well, I will send listeners to your website. It is uh, it is her name, uh, listeners. It is Emily Slingluff, and that's S L I N G L U F F. And her books are A Present to the Newborn, Choosing Happiness, Parenting Without Punishment. Um, and you kind of know what you're getting there. So for more details and um, and uh, Emily's wisdom, uh, please go get these books. Wouldn't they be great um, stocking stuffers for you know mm. friends who uh, you know aren't doing a great job with their kids or maybe your pregnant friends? Um, mm-hmm. What a great uh, what a great idea. <laughs> Thank right, you, Emily. Because I don't have them expensive. I'm not into this to make money. And, and yes, you're so right. If people would get 5, 10, 15 and have on hand and just give to anybody, the, a present to the newborn is really, really helpful as a basic book about parenting. All right. Well, Emily, thank you so much. Uh, definitely important stuff uh, you're out there teaching about uh, because we certainly need to uh, have more kindness and less hate in the world. That's that's a for sure. Um, I'm so glad to know you, Emily. Thank you for coming on Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Thank you. You're wonderful, Karen. I enjoyed it, too. Phew. Worn out, though. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> All right. Talk to you later, Emily. Have a a good weekend. Bye-bye. You too. Bye-bye. Well, I promised listeners that uh, I had a couple interesting articles that uh, Pat, our roving goddess reporter, uh, sent to me. And um, I'm going to start with the first. I'm going to skim it and probably won't read the whole entire thing because it's a little bit long. Uh, But it's by Vincent Schilling. And um, it's uh, titled, Friday the 13th Isn't Unlucky, The Patriarchy Was Afraid of the Sacred Feminine. Uh, This one really caught my eye. I was glad Pat sent it along. Um, Let's see. She says, every Friday the 13th, people likely think of the disturbing hockey mask-wearing Jason Voorhees running through Camp Crystal Lake, bent on slashing unsuspecting teenagers with a gigantic machete. He was not nurtured in the crib. Anyway. Uh, Or perhaps many of you might wake up on a Friday the 13th morning and be worried that the day is going to be filled with bad luck with a multitude of unforeseen events that can't be prevented. But have you ever really thought about where Friday the 13th might have gotten its preconceived ill regard? Well, it's time to do a bit more patriarchal unlearning. Uh, Friday the 13th, as the day deemed unlucky, is the result of historical patriarchal forces that were deathly afraid that the sacred feminine or women in that day might have some sort of influence on their male-dominated ruling structures set in place. Let's take one more thing into account on this particular Friday the 13th which uh, was last Friday. Uh, It also happens to be the first time in many years where there is a full moon on the same day. What better day to discuss the sacred feminine and the history of Friday the 13th and a way to dismantle patriarchal teachings. So let us all learn. 
So that said, here are a few facts about Friday and the number 13 that may come as a bit of a surprise. Uh, Friday is derived from the Latin term Dies Veneris, which translates into Day of Venus. A simple Google search can tell you off the bat that Friday comes from the Old English term uh, Friedig, meaning Day of the Fridge, or the day dedicated to the German goddess Frigg. Many equate Frigg to the Roman goddess of love, Venus. But Friday, much after it was initially celebrated for the womanly or feminine connection, was discounted as a day when patriarchal forces took control of its meaning. One example is in the 19th century when Admiral William Henry Smith labeled Friday negatively in his written work, The Sailor's Word Book. Um, titled The Days in Faustus, an unlucky or unfortunate day on which old seamen were desirous of not getting underweight as ill omened. In other words, Friday is an unlucky day to ship out for sailors. Friday was also the day when Eve allegedly gave Adam the apple and when Adam was thrust from Eden. It's a well-known story that invokes Eve as the aggressor and poor little Adam only took an innocent bite of an apple. Additionally, Jesus was killed on Good Friday, prompting many to further label the day as a negative one. The Sacred Feminine Number 13. There are approximate 13 cycles of the moon in a 12-month period. Religious monks historically tasked with the creation of calendars did not like it when 13 full moons, as opposed to 12, appeared in the calendar year. The dates church and religious festivals were postponed due to a full moon were considered problematic. So to the monks, when there were 13 full moons in a year, it was considered an unlucky year. Another sacred connection to 13 is that a woman's average female cycle is 28 days, so that equates to 13 female reproductive cycles over the course of 12 months, or 364 days. The number 13 also got a bad reputation because there were 13 people seated at the Last Supper. There is a religious superstition that any 13th person sitting down at dinner will die within a year. Another instance of an unlucky 13 was the Knights Templar, who were arrested on Friday, October, the 13th in 1307 in which King Philip IV of France had them tortured and killed 13 though it has a sacred connection has long since been determined unlucky my summation is a native man. He says, Friday the 13th has been deemed unlucky by historic patriarchal figures, and I am quite honestly not surprised. I am a Mohawk and part of the Iroquois Confederacy. And as much as there are male leaders within my tribe, we also have values taught to us regarding the contribution and strength of women in our tribe and in the world. We have a council of women elders who alone can vote that a chief be removed from his position if they deem it appropriate. Their decision is honored, abided by, and embraced by all of the Confederacy. In a quick phone conversation with Chief Lynette Elston of the Nottoway Indian Tribe of Virginia, whose tribe is Iroquois and resides in Virginia, quickly acknowledged that there are 13 phases of the moon. I can't imagine why the historians have long been putting a negative twist on it. I just put it in the same bag as, quote, don't step on the cracks on the pavement, unquote, or watching out for a black cat crossing your path. Chief Lynette Alston of the Nottoway Indian Tribe of Virginia doesn't buy that Friday the 13th uh, 
is uh, unlucky. It's just malarkey, she says. So, according to Vincent Schilling, whenever I have posted on social media about the power of women, I get an incredible amount of backlash, but I don't mind, and I will continue to fight for the women of this world, including my wife, Dolores, who brings so much light to everyone she interacts with, most notably myself. I have always considered Friday the 13th my lucky day, and I didn't really know why until I researched everything for this article. Once again, I am reminded what the patriarchy has done historically and how they have done everything in their power to wipe women from history. Let us all come together and celebrate Friday the 13th as the Day of the Sacred Feminine. So, happy belated Sacred Feminine Day from Friday the 13th. So, thank you very much, Vincent Schilling, another good guy out there. In the other article that uh, Pat sent was, someone stole the bones of an 18th, 18th century witch Scottish authorities want them back. Okay, this was uh, in LiveScience.com. And the, the story goes, an elderly Scottish woman who was accused of witchcraft in the 1700s did not rest in peace. Her bones were removed from the grave during the 19th century for study by local scholars and later vanished from the records. Her skull, once exhibited in Scotland's Museum of the University of St. Andrews, and that the Empire Exhibition in Glasgow in 1938 also disappeared sometime during the 20th century. But on August the 31st, the 315th anniversary of the purported witch's death, Scottish officials held a memorial service for the woman and revived the search for her missing bones, according to the Washington Post. <coughs> Excuse me. The woman named Lilius Addy lived in Tory. Burn Fife in Scotland and died in prison in 1704 after confessing, likely under torture, to casting malicious spells on her neighbors and having sex with the devil, according to the Post. Don't they always say that? Anyway, wife uh, authorities recently uh, announced that they were seeking information about the whereabouts of Addie's skull and the rest of her skeleton. If found, the remains would be incorporated into a monument commemorating the thousands of Scottish men and women prosecuted and killed as witches. Though Addie died more than 300 years ago, her face resurfaced in 2017 as the digital reconstruction created by Scotland's Center of Anatomy and Human ID at Dundee University. Forensic artist in lecturer Christopher Ryan performed the reconstruction. It showed Addie with quite a kind face. Because Addie's skull was nowhere to be found, uh, Rin uh, crafted the digital model by working from photographs of the skull in the collection of the University of St. Andrews. As Addie was merely a frail old woman, not the terrifying monster that her neighbors described, Rin sculpted her face with a friendly expression. Addie's grave lies on a Tory Burn Beach, where it is exposed during low tide. The site was originally topped with a heavy stone, allegedly to keep Addie from rising from the dead to take revenge on her tormentors. <clears throat> it is the only known witch's burial site in Scotland, though approximately 3,500 Scottish people, most of them women, were tried and executed as witches during the early years of the 18th century. As such, the solitary grave and Addy hold special significance in commemorating this dark chapter in Scotland's past, Fife's uh, depute provost counselor Julie Ford said in a statement. Quote, 
It's important to recognize that Lilius Addy and the thousands of other men and women accused of witchcraft in early modern Scotland were not the evil people history has portrayed them to be. They were the innocent victims of unenlightened times. It's time we recognize the injustice served upon them. Woohoo! Okay, they got my vote. Thank you, Pat, uh, for continuing to send us these interesting uh, articles to share with listeners. Okay, well, uh, that about uh, does it for me uh, for tonight. Uh, we ran a bit long, uh, but I hope you think it was worth it. I had fun with Emily. Um, and uh, I hope, uh, you know, listeners out there gleaned some wisdom um, from her um, her her, her uh, good experiences. Um, and I, I guess that about does it, uh, dear listeners. Uh, it's certainly uh, getting cool here. Uh, winter is coming, and uh, pretty soon uh, I will be snowed in. And what will I do? Uh, maybe I'll add some additional uh, shows to the calendar. Maybe I'll write a book. I'm not really sure, uh, but we shall see. Um, so thank you for listening. Uh, you are the gas in my tank. And uh, please continue to send in show ideas for guests. Uh, I got a couple this week, and I was so glad to hear from you. Uh, it was great ideas, and I am definitely following up on them. Um, all right, then. Um, good night, and until we meet again next Wednesday, this is Karen Tate signing off, uh, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. Good night.